Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello there. Yes, it's that time again. Time for another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. Dr. Ross Green here. I am joined by my co-host, Susie Porton. I'm sitting here in the offices of Lives in the Balance here in wintry Portland, Maine. Susie is sitting in upstate New York. I don't know how wintry it is there today. How wintry is it in upstate New York today? Good morning. There's a uh, gentle snow that's falling outside. A gentle snow. That makes it sound um, so nice. Um, it is? That's, that's, I mean, I was telling people on Saturday in New Hampshire that um, I grew up in Miami, Florida, and therefore early in my time up in the snowy parts of North America found snow to be a novelty. But it was... Uh, snowing a few days ago here in Portland, Maine, and I have to say that the novelty has worn off. Oh, dear. I don't know if I would call it a gentle snow anymore, but that's not what we're on this program to talk about, is it? That's right. We are here to see if we can help uh, parents of behaviorally challenging kids understand them better identify their lagging skills and unsolved problems, and solve problems with them collaboratively. If you want to call in, and somebody already has, we'll get to you in just a moment, that number is uh, 347-994-2981. We have learned that there were some technical glitches on last week's program and that the second part of the program didn't even record We are hoping for the best today. If we have problems today, we will certainly look into it further. We have a bunch of email lined up to respond to, but I think we are going to, as we always do, give our caller our top priority. And so we're going to go to area code 212. How are you today? Area code 212, you're on the air. or not. Let's um, go to some email instead. Um, Sometimes people call in just to listen to the program, Um, but you can listen to the program through the Blog Talk radio site. Um, But, so, of course, if people do call in, we want to make sure that that's because they want to participate in the program. But here we go. Uh, let me read this one. This is this comes from Belgium. Hmm. Kind of cool to know that people are listening to the program all over the world. This says, Dr. Green, I'm a mother from Belgium. My son was diagnosed with ADHD and Asperger's disorder, but I knew ever always knew there was something else there. I recognized everything you said in your book. Uh, going through the list of lagging skills, my son has all of them except lacking communication skills. He's highly intelligent. Here we go. The first week applying Plan B went great, but soon he understood what I was doing, namely applying a technique. 
We're going to come back to that. As soon as he knew this, he started playing with it, as with any other approach. At least he seems to do so. He carefully monitors if I'm applying the rules of communication so as not to frustrate him. And he seems to enjoy the fact that I'm more and more walking on eggshells. I think we'll have to come back to that sentence as well. When I do it wrong or when circumstances out of my control are frustrating, like something that just isn't possible, he gets faster and more frustrated than ever. His reactions are also more violent. Is this, as you mentioned, residual heat, and should I keep trying? Is it wrong for me to think that he feels that my friendly approach is a way for him to have control over me? Um, I know we're supposed to think that kids don't think that way, but is that always the case? Also, he seems to get frustrated at my friendly approach sometimes because he's used to getting angry, so he lowers the frustration bar even further so he can explode. We'll have to come back to that sentence, too. Now his behavior is constantly switching between you're the best mom ever, I love you, and getting angry over every misplaced word. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Healthcare professionals keep insisting on outplacing him or giving medication, but we want to avoid this at all cost. Please excuse my English. It is not my mother tongue. I think you did just fine. Now, let's go back to some of these sentences, shall we? Um, let me take on the first one. Then I'm going to ask you to take on another of them. Um, I don't think what you're doing is applying a technique. I think what you're doing is trying to solve problems together. Um, I, will, I, I always hesitate to describe solving problems collaboratively as a technique. It's not. It's very much real life. It's very much the real world. And so um, I think I might, as I often sometimes do, explain to both parents and their kids, this isn't a technique. All you're doing here is identifying the problems that are setting the stage for challenging episodes and trying to solve those problems. Not a technique, just the really hard work of solving problems. So I would need to know a little bit more about how it is that you feel that he is playing with it as with any other approach. Um, now, Susie, let me throw this next one at you. Um, this mom is perceiving that her uh, child is enjoying the fact that she is walking on eggshells more and more. You've had a few challenging ones. Um, first of all, was it ever your perception that that was true, that your children were enjoying watching you walk on eggshells? And if you did perceive things that way, how did you talk yourself out of it? Hmm. Um, interesting question. I felt like I was walking on eggshells. I don't I didn't necessarily feel that my child was enjoying me walk on eggshells. Um he was very angry, very explosive and very violent and um Unfortunately, that tapped into some past history for me, so it um, made our situation extra challenging. Um, 
and just refresh, just ask me again exactly what you wanted. Um, well, number one, it sounds like you did not feel like your explosive child was enjoying watching you walk on eggshells. Right. Um, so you may not be able to tell us how you might have talked yourself out of it. Um, but any thoughts on that? I, I can certainly understand how parents might come to that perception, especially if they have traditional lenses on. The traditional lenses say that the child's behavior is an effort to coerce parents into capitulating to their wishes. And therefore, it would make sense that a child would enjoy seeing his parents walk on eggshells because it basically assumes that the child is now in control and is behaving in a way that makes life go really well for them and helps them get anything they want. Those, of course, are not the lenses of this model. Did you ever think that your explosive child's explosions were an effort to help him get his way? I think once I um, embraced the philosophy of collaborative and proactive solutions that children do well as they can and saw my son through those lenses, that helped a lot. That was my mantra uh, that I repeated to myself numerous times over the day. But um, collaborative and proactive solutions is a process. And so by practicing Plan B with my son, and it took a while to get the Plan B ball rolling, um, but as we did this together, solving problems together and me not doing something to him or at him, um, that repaired our relationship and built a sense of trust. And as I became more comfortable with the process, it eventually reduced and even eliminated his some of his maladaptive behavior, most of it. It's a very interesting thing. Um, there is one other part here. The question is, is this what I have sometimes called residual heat? Residual heat is the term, I don't really use it all that often anymore, but I think what the emailer is referring to is the fact that even when you start doing plan B, your kid may still think you're doing plan A if that's what you've been doing all along, and you may get some of the residual heat of your child thinking that you're still doing plan A because he's not recognizing yet that you are on a completely different playing field now. Um, but here the mom also says, is it wrong for me to think that he feels my friendly approach is a way for him to have control over me? I think that those are the lenses we're talking about that need to change. Um, 
those are not the lenses through which I typically view kids' challenging episodes. Um, remember, that I, I don't know that I would characterize CPS as friendly. I would characterize it as user-friendlier. Um, and maybe that's the translation between Belgium and um, uh, English. Um, but I don't think he's trying to have control over you. Now, I don't know him. Maybe he's one of those rare ones. Um, and many parents who are listening are now thinking, well, I think I have one of those rare ones. Those rare ones are really rare. Uh, in, in about 25 years, I have yet to come across a kid uh, who was trying to have control over his or her parents. Um, so I don't think that you're, what you're calling a friendly approach, but what I would call solving problems together, is going to give him control anyways. And I guess what I'm most interested in knowing, I think that um, there may be some things about how this mom is trying to do Plan B um, that may not be going so well yet, and we don't have any of the details on um, where things are going wrong for her. So I want to invite the mom to either call into the program using Skype or some other cheap methodology so it doesn't cost too much, or email us back with a little bit more detail about a plan B that you tried to do and that didn't go so well. But I think we need to put he's trying to control me on the shelf for a while. Um, we need to get you out of the eggshell walking business. Um, we need to start solving problems together. The problem is this email doesn't tell us any of the problems that they're trying to solve, so we can't help out with that, nor what seems to be going wrong when they try to do it, so we can't help out with that. All we can really help out on this one is the lenses. Um, any more thoughts on that before we move on to the next email? Just that collaborative and proactive solutions is a win-win situation for both parties, and it's uh, not about control. You're doing something together. So we now have two callers, the one that we thought we had and a new one. I'm going to try to see if the person from area code 212 is going to come on now. Here we go. Area code 212, did you want to say something on the program today? Oh, hi. Do you hear me? We can. Oh, oh my God. We're glad hi. you're there. <laughs> Sorry about that. I didn't know what no I was worries. doing. What's okay. on your mind today? Um, okay, well, all right. I read The um, Explosive Child about a year ago, and I absolutely loved it. Um, but the uh, the clinician, he he didn't really he didn't really go into it at all. <laughs> and um, so a year later, my son. Um, he is still in a situation where, oh, and by the way, I went to your advanced training in Brooklyn. Excellent. Yeah, it was really, really excellent. Um, and um, so my son has been in this high school uh, where, okay, let me just get to the point here, is we want to take him out of his high school because he's not doing anything. He's failing five classes, and he's just 
he's just not doing anything. And, you know, he is um, being treated for depression, and um, he did have a diagnosis of ADHD, but he's not taking the meds. Um, and But he doesn't want to leave. And he did sign a contract saying that, by January, if he's failing more than two classes, he would actively, you know, go into, and this is a contract with the school. Um, And, you know, I've been, since the training, since the advanced training, you know, I've been just trying to listen to him, you know, and I I did my my list, and he had, like, over 50 um, unsolved problems, and I found the top three and anyway, I guess um, trying to to get him to talk about why he's staying at the school. He's just he's just not talking, and I don't know what my question is. I mean, should we? You know, by January, should we just take the ex, you know executive move and just move him out? Oh, I just don't know what to do about that. Well. Um, so you're at the advanced training, so you know how important it is to word the unsolved problem well. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, now I've got the whole picture. Um, he signed a contract saying that if he was failing more than two classes, he would leave his current school. Um, well, well, actually, that he would actively pursue the tran- the transition process. <laughs> That, to another was school. The, yeah. Got it. So apparently he's now in the midst of still not doing well at his current school. Yes. Right. Not making an effort. Well, um, I'm gonna, I'm going to leave it at not doing well. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, but what we're hovering over here is what I might call what we would call solutions. Stay at the school. Leave the school. Stay at the school. Leave the school. Those are solutions. Mm. What I'm not hearing is a specific unsolved problem related to the classes that he's having difficulty in and how we can help him solve them. Now, you know, down the road, you might end up convincing him to leave the school or he might end up convincing you to stay in the school. And I might... Um, say that on the basis of what little we know so far, we still have no idea what's getting in the way of the classes he's still doing poorly in in school. And therefore, we might have no reason to believe that making him switch schools, or even if he stays in the current school, those problems are going to get solved. And I find that so I want to hear what you have to say about that, but I find that that's what we often do. We end up focusing primarily on the different solutions that are available to us, but not necessarily the problems that have caused us to begin thinking of solutions in the first place. What are the unsolved problems at the current school? Well, um, when I had a meeting with you know, the officials at the school and Ayumu, my son, um, when I asked him, you know, what he thought the problems were, he said that um, 
he didn't do well on tests. And, you know, as we drew drew him out with that, you know, I mean, he was homeschooled until eighth grade, and he did very well in eighth grade. But then when he switched to this school, which is close to 6,000 students, um, he did not do well. It's a very, very, very tough school. It's almost like law school, um, the way that they run it. And anyway, so he said um, it was the test, the test. He doesn't do well on tests. And But as we drew him out, we found out that actually it was him thinking that he was prepared and him not being prepared, really, which boils down to he just, he will not do homework. <laughs> I, well, I, just I don't never, know if I never see him do that. homework. Hmm? I, I don't know if I would interpret, um, I think I'm prepared and then I find I'm not prepared, as he won't do homework. They may be separate, unsolved problems. Okay. Um, I don't know, but I don't know if homework is directly related to being prepared for a test. There are kids who I know who study very hard for tests and think that they're prepared. He might not, but there are kids who study very hard for tests and then get in there and um, bomb the test anyways. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's directly related to homework. Were you okay. talking about these things with regard to specific classes or more globally with regard to all classes at the current school? Well, the two classes he's passing, he's getting like a 65 or 68. So, eh, you know, I think it's more globally. Well, here's the reason I'm asking. Um, as you learned in the advanced training, if we, don't, if we clump that unsolved problem, difficulty doing well on tests, in all classes is the way that unsolved problem would read at the moment, then um, we're basically operating on the assumption that he's having difficulty doing well on tests in all classes for all the exact same reasons. And I wouldn't make that assumption. And so, as you learned, you want to split it and talk with him about individual classes. Otherwise, you are kind of forcing him to make global assumptions or to give you global information about what's going wrong in all classes. Right. And I would operate on the assumption that he's having difficulty in different classes for different reasons. Okay. And so I really do think you need to get to that level of specificity in the discussion so that you can um, actually get to the bottom of what's getting in his way in each class. Now, As you know, you may find some similarities across classes, but I would begin the discussion with individual classes. That's what in this model we call splitting, not clumping. Yep. That said, it does sound like you do have, through your prior conversations with him, some very useful information. Um, And so I would split it even further so that you would get even more useful information about individual classes Here's now going back to the original thing that I was talking about at the beginning of your call. If he's having difficulty doing well on tests, let's take him at his word. And, of course, this would require some additional drilling to really flesh it out and find out what's getting in his way. If he's having difficulty doing well on tests and his feeling is that he is studying for them and preparing for them but um, bombing it once he gets in there, Um, the solutions that are under consideration right now, 
are stay in the school, leave the school. And now, as I always do, I'm asking myself, once I start thinking about solutions, will the solutions that are under consideration address the concerns once we know what the concerns are? And as I'm saying, you have, you have further to go in finding out what his concerns are, what's getting in his way, what's hard for him. I think you've got more to go, and once again, I think you want to split it so that you get specific information for each class. But okay. now, just based on the little we know so far, I'm not sure I would understand how staying in the school or leaving the school would help him bomb, not bomb tests that he feels that he's prepared for. And so I hope that once you start, once you split the unsolved problem and start talking about individual classes, and once you're drilling for information well, it should become apparent that stay in school or leave school are not going to be solutions that solve the problems once you understand what's really getting in his way. Now, it could be that you end up saying, now that we know what your concerns are, this is not help. What it seems clear you need is not something that this school can do for you. You might come to that conclusion. What's clear to us is that what you need, what's, what seems to be the case now that we're knowing what you need, is that what you need, another school would need to provide because this school doesn't do it. But then at least I think you would be out of the stay in this school or leave this school quandary. Yeah. And you could be again thinking about what kind of learning environment would be well-matched to what's actually getting in his way and what he actually needs. I just don't think you've gotten to that point yet. As you now know, number one, the unsolved problem is clumped, and number two, you have some more drilling to do on each individual class so you know what's getting in his way. So we've got to get more specific across the board so that we can move beyond solutions that are simply stay in the school, leave the school. All that makes sense? Yes, makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Let me give Susie an opportunity to weigh in here if she wants to, not required, but Susie, anything to add to that? Um just that when you're addressing both parties' concerns, when you're truly doing Plan B, you you're not you don't know where your imaginary airplane is going to be landing, and that it might take a couple of Plan Bs to uh, solve one particular problem, but Plan B teaches you to end the conversation with the child um, to go back to the Plan B drawing board if um, both parties' uh, concerns aren't addressed. So to just keep trying that there's always hope um, with this model. And um, you mentioned it sounds like a really tough school, but perhaps... um, you could uh, buy a copy of Lost at School for the people at school for his guidance counselor um, and have them take a look at that or even just download um, Dr. Green's article, Five Ways to Improve School for Behaviorally Challenging Students. Um, That was an excellent article as well. Great. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Thank you for Thanks your time. Thanks for calling in, and you, you're always welcome to call back. 
Thank you. Take care. You bet. So caller number two has disappeared, so we are going to answer some more email here. But let me give the call-in number again. It's 347-994-2981. This is a very interesting email. Uh, I'm wondering if I should get a diagnosis and stabilize my son's medication first and then try to start this CPS program. My son is 10 and has had a million diagnoses, so at this point, who knows what he really has. He has been on every medication there is except lithium and Depakote, which the current psychiatrist is now recommending. He is for the first time seeing bad grades. He has no friends. He is overweight from some of the medications he's taking now. I am at a loss and would love to know where people can help him. Well, we're going to try to help you on this program um, and then um, I want to point out to you that on the CPS Connection website, cpsconnection.com, there's a providers section that has a list of providers who are certified. Uh, they've, they've been trained by me, and they are really good at the model. Um, if somebody's not on that list, I would not operate on the assumption that they are really good at the model. These are people who I've worked with and trained directly. Um, so you might want to see, I'm not sure what area you're in, so I'm not sure where to tell you to look except for the CPS Connection website, but in terms of finding somebody in your area who might be able to help you. But now let's go back to the beginning. Uh, should you get a diagnosis? If your son has had millions of diagnoses so far, um, it doesn't sound like those diagnoses has help, have helped you understand him very well yet or have moved the ball forward at all yet. And that's not my way of saying that, saying that diagnoses are completely useless. It's me saying that I sure do work with a lot of parents and educators and staff and facilities who work with kids or live with kids who have a million diagnoses and still don't know what the kids' lagging skills and unsolved problems are. So on the Lives in the Balance website, if you haven't found it already, you want to go to the Resources section and then the Paperwork section. And the Assessment of Lagging Skills and Unsolved Problems is there waiting for you to help you identify your child's lagging skills and unsolved problems. Um, I think that's a really great place to start. I would start there whether a kid had a million diagnoses yet or not. Um, there are many, many kids out there, as I am very quick to point out in my talks these days, who have lots of challenging behaviors but who do not meet diagnostic criteria for any particular childhood psychiatric diagnosis. But one thing I can promise you they have if they have challenging behavior is a lot of lagging skills and a lot of unsolved problems that are setting in motion those challenging behaviors. And that's really where the action is at. Should you stabilize your son's medication first and then try to start this program? My answer, I don't know. Um, it sounds like your son has also been on a ton of medication as well. Often kids who have tons of psychiatric diagnoses also have been on tons of medications. And I must say, your email suggests that those tons of medication haven't done him any good either. So I don't know, and, and this is where um, 
uh, having never met your son, um, I, we may be at the limits of what we can say on this radio program to try to help you out because um, he hasn't been comprehensively assessed by me and I haven't met him. But just going on what you're writing, I don't know if you should wait until his medication is stabilized. I've worked with many kids that medication made them destabilized. And so if we're waiting for the medication to stabilize him, we may, number one, be waiting for something that isn't going to happen, and then we'll never get to identifying lagging skills and unsolved problems and trying to solve those problems collaboratively. So tough call for me to make, having never met your son and not knowing your situation completely. But I've worked with many, many kids who had been on millions of medications and millions, of course, millions is an exaggeration, had millions of psychiatric diagnoses. And when they started implementing collaborative and proactive solutions, suddenly in many cases, but this is not a promise, obviously, the kid started looking like he didn't need that medication or so much of it anymore. And it started looking like those psychiatric diagnoses weren't quite anywhere near as meaningful as they seem to be in the beginning. That's probably as far as I can take you without meeting your 10-year-old son, but I hope we've taken you a little bit further. Susie, anything to weigh in on? Well, sounds like they're going through a tough time. Um, but as you've said many times, Dr. Green, don't take the diagnosis so seriously. Um, sounds like the child has some problems in living, and it's the adult's responsibility to figure out what's getting in the way for them living. Um, and I was just going to um, support what you said to to try the model, to try collaborative and proactive solutions first, um, because frequently by working with the model together, um, you know, things improve and skills are taught indirectly. This model is not a panacea. It is very, very hard work. Um, we don't hold it up to be a panacea. But I sure have seen a lot of kids who are on a lot of meds and who had many psychiatric categories that had been attached to them over the years. And I've seen this model take them a long way. Not a panacea, very hard work, but often helps take kids and their caregivers way further than the diagnoses and the medicines do. Is that me saying that medicine doesn't work? I'm always careful about that. There are also kids who have benefited enormously from psychiatric medication. So it's not me saying medication hasn't worked. It's me responding to the fact that this kid has been on a ton of them. And it sounds like they don't have a whole lot to show for it yet. Susie, shall we move on to another email here? We've got some interesting ones that have come in in the last week. Sounds good. I have a nine-year-old son that has been diagnosed. This sounds a little bit similar to the last one has been diagnosed with ADHD, bipolar disorder, and ODD, and I need some serious help. He's been hospitalized two times. 
I have tried almost everything without any improvement. Most days are a power struggle that in most situations I lose to my son as I have to choose my battles with him. We'll come back to that sentence. I was told his frontal lobe was not developed correctly, and the these methods, I assume she's referring to C, he is referring to CPS here, will not work for him. He has a severe case of ODD. Um, well, I don't know if you've tried identifying lagging skills and unsolved problems yet. If not, you haven't tried everything. I don't know if you've tried solving problems collaboratively and proactively with your nine-year-old son yet. If not, you haven't tried everything. Um, but I'm going to hang on your language here. Um, if most days are a power struggle and that what's going on here is a lot of battle picking and that you feel like you are losing many of those battles, that's the sentence that tells us that you probably haven't tried solving problems collaboratively yet. Because when you're solving problems collaboratively, it's not a power struggle. It's win-win. So no one's losing. And you're not picking battles. You are prioritizing which unsolved problems you want to start solving first. But that's not battle picking. That's prioritizing. That's recognizing. You can't work on everything at once, so you're going to have to set some unsolved problems aside and pick two or three that you're going to work on first. I have worked with many, many, many kids who were diagnosed with ADHD, pediatric bipolar disorder, and ODD. I have worked with many, many kids who had what we might call a severe case of ODD. That wouldn't stop me. And precisely how people came to the conclusion that your son's frontal lobe was not developed correctly, um, I don't have the slightest idea. So you're welcome to email back on that if you'd like to provide some more detail on that. But if that's just something somebody said casually, or that's something said to try to somebody somebody something somebody said to try to help you understand your son better, that wouldn't stop me either. Susie, anything to add to that? Um, just that I'm here to tell you my son, I was in a similar situation um, with those diagnoses um, and how wonderful the model of care works uh, with somebody that has challenging behavior. Um, it's it's not about choosing battles, and it's about um, the adult not just um, focusing on the child, but the adult has to change their lenses and look at this as a learning disability that manifests itself differently, just similar to a reading problem, and it needs to be addressed in a similar fashion. I think we have time for one more. Hi, Dr. Green. My son is a seven-year-old sweet little boy. He had a traumatic birth and has been receiving services for his delays since he was 18 months old. 
He has been diagnosed with speech and language impairment, sensory processing disorder, ADHD, executive functioning deficits, dyslexia, dysgraphia, and visual processing problems. I also suspect auditory processing issues. Anyway, I am doing well with him at home, but school is a nightmare. Started in first grade with breaking down, refusing to do work, and crying. Now he is in second grade, and it has escalated to running out of the classroom, treating classroom materials disrespectfully, and calling his teacher dumb. Of course, those are all behaviors. That's my editorial comment so far. His teacher gets very upset with him because he refuses to do work and claims it is too boring. I have been on this journey with my son since birth, and we are extremely close. I fear that school may turn him into a juvenile delinquent. He cries about his teacher not liking him and hates school. The school's only recommendation is constant behavioral charts, which they want me to also do at home. Uh, I do talk about rewards if he has a good week, but why should I punish punish him when he already has massive anxiety about school? My question for you is how long do I give the public school before sending him elsewhere? I would be willing to move anywhere to get him what he needs. I don't believe he is a behavioral problem. I think that is just a symptom. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Well, uh, you asked for it. Here we go. Um, My take on this is that he's got a lot of diagnoses and we've got a lot of behaviors. But until... First of all, Susie, I I know that mm, you are very in touch with this as well. There sure is a lot of pain out there, isn't there? And there sure are a lot of kids and parents who desperately need help. Mm -hmm. We come face-to-face with it on this program. Um, What I want to help this mom do is move beyond the behavior, as I always do. Move beyond the diagnoses. What are the child's lagging skills? And we've got some hints on that, but it's not very specific yet. And especially, what are her son's unsolved problems? What I can promise is that a behavior chart isn't going to teach those skills, isn't going to solve those problems. And I agree with you. If things aren't going well at school and he's getting punished there, why would you punish him at home and therefore give him double-barreled things not going well? But I don't want you to give up on the public school just yet. I don't know your situation well at all, and so this may be sort of just out on a limb here. But the school may not know about lagging skills and unsolved problems yet. And maybe if they did they might start responding to your son in ways that are more productive and start viewing his difficulties in ways that are more compassionate and effective. So, you know, there's the guided tour for educators on the Lives in the Balance website. There's the book Lost at School if you want to give them a copy. There's all kinds of resources out there to help them become more aware of this model how it understands behavioral challenges, and how it would help them move behavior charts. Those are my thoughts on it. Susie, any thoughts of yours? We've got about a minute and a half left. Um, No, I just agree with everything that you said. Um, Our school was, my son went to public school. Uh, The school was a bit slow, 
to um, embrace the model, but they slowly came around and we worked together um, to figure out his lagging skills and unsolved problems and uh, designed a plan to help him proactively. It's hard, but it begins with seeing the world of behavioral challenges through the prism of lagging skills and unsolved problems, identifying those lagging skills and unsolved problems for each individual kid, and then solving those problems collaboratively and proactively so the problems get solved and the skills get taught. Susie, on that note, we're going to have to call it a day. Thanks, as always. Thank you for having me. We'll do this again next week. Take Take care. Take care.